The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. So we'll look at verses 29 to 51 tonight and cover the, the, the next four names uh, that are listed here. The first one uh, we see right in verse number 29 is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And so if you're uh, keeping track right in the center there uh, of your handout, uh, the Lamb of God. And so again, this is the second day of the week that Apostle, the Apostle John records. And, and uh, you know, this time he, he calls Jesus here the Lamb of God. It's a title that the Bible tells us in uh, verses 35 and 36, he repeats the next day. He says again, behold, uh, the Lamb of God. And uh, the question really in the Old Testament, as we look at the Old Testament, study the Old Testament, the question of the Old Testament is, where is the Lamb? Genesis 22, 7, uh, where's the Lamb? Uh, remember Isaac asked that question as Abraham takes him up. Uh, he says, but here's, the, here's the wood, here's the fire. Where's the Lamb? You know, where's, where's that? And uh, so that's the question really the Old Testament. Where is the Lamb? Uh, and we see uh, lambs being slaughtered and animals being slaughtered throughout the Old Testament. What's the purpose of that? was a typify, it was a symbol, and God was trying to show them. Again, they're asking over and over again, where is the lamb? And uh, that's the question that we see. In the four gospels, the emphasis is behold the lamb of God. In other words, what the, what the gospels tell us is the answer to the question of the Old Testament. The question Old Testament presents is where is the lamb? The gospels say, behold the lamb. And they say, here he is. We want you to see this is the lamb. So uh, that's that question answered. Here he is. And, and after you trust Christ uh, we, we sing really like Revelation five twelve. worthy is the lamb, right? After we come to Christ, uh, we sing with that angelic choir, worthy is the lamb and uh, uh, the lamb of God. And the people of Israel were familiar with lambs, the sacrifices at Passover. Uh, each family had to have a lamb. And during uh, the year, two lambs a day were sacrificed at the temple altar. Plus all the other lambs were brought, uh, the Bible tells us, were brought for personal sacrifices and, and um those lambs were brought by people to people. And that's interesting because uh, there's, there's something different about Jesus, isn't it? Because here is God's lamb, and he's given by God to humankind. God is giving him, he's offering him, he's sacrificing. God so loved the world that he was, that he gave his only begotten son. And those lambs could not take away sin, could they? All those lambs, uh, Hebrews tells us, uh, again, all those lambs, the blood of bulls and goats and rams and, and lambs and all those things could not, uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Notice those lambs didn't cause the remission, the forgiveness or the cleansing of sin. It was just a temporary thing, a symbolic thing looking forward to the coming of the Lamb of God. But the Lamb of God can take away sin, can he? John declares this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those lambs, it's interesting because we look at the Old Testament, those lambs were for who? They were only for Israel. Only for Israel. That's what those sacrifices, they were for Israel. Do we, do we continue in that practice? No, uh, we're not Israelites tonight, and uh, uh, we're, 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 we're not continuing that sacrifice, and we're not to continue that sacrifice, but uh, this lamb would shed his blood not just for Israel, but for the whole world, the Bible says. The Bible says he would take away the sin of the world. And uh, what does John's baptism have to do with, with Jesus as the Lamb of God? I mean, if you think about John, he talks about he baptized with water. But there was going to be one that came, the Lamb of God, who was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Notice the, the significance as John describes there. He says he, he obviously didn't know who that was going to be. 
He wasn't sure who that was going to be. Isn't it interesting that even as John gets locked up, Herod locks him up, he sends uh, his disciples back to Jesus and says, are you, are you the lamb? Are, are you the one? He, he even in his own mind, you notice he deals, as John the Baptist was imperfect, deals with doubt himself about who Jesus is. But notice uh, the, uh, the thing that God told John. He said, when you see the, the uh, Holy Spirit of God descend on him and uh, like a dove, this is the Lamb of God. And he declared him to be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And when John here was baptizing Jesus, Jesus and John were kind of picturing the baptism Jesus would endure on the cross, where he would die as the sacrificial Lamb of God. It would be, again, through death, burial, and resurrection that the Lamb of God would fulfill all righteousness. It's interesting, even as we follow the Lord in believer's baptism, that it is a depiction of a death, a burial, and resurrection as Jesus died. You know, uh, that death takes place, the death of our flesh, the death of uh, sin. He puts those things down, and uh, uh, we are able to rise again as he rose, we, we rise again, and we walk in the newness of life that he gives us. And, and John, again, sees that beautiful picture uh, in, in the baptism as, as God the Father speaks from heaven, right? He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and there is the Son. Perfect picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect unity there. And uh, we see uh, Jesus as the Lamb. Number two tonight in the four that we're going to look at, uh, we see uh, another uh, name that's introduced to us in verses 35 through 42. And I want you to see it in verse number 41. Uh, he first findeth his own brother Simon, this is speaking of Andrew, and saith unto him, We have found the what? The Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And so the Messiah is the second uh, name that we're going to look at tonight, uh, the fifth in this passage of Scripture. And this is the third day in sequence. We can see, uh, if you look at it, you can underline it. says, in the next day, and then it tells us in the day after. This is the third day in the sequence, the seventh day. Uh, we said included that wedding in Cana in John uh, 2, 1. And uh, the two disciples of John who followed Jesus were John, the writer of the gospel, who God used, who would be uh, the one the Bible says that uh, was close to the Lord, the disciple whom Jesus loved, referred to that way. John was one of these disciples of John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist was preaching. John the Baptist had followers. He had disciples. One of those who had listened to and been baptized by John the Baptist was John here uh, the go- in, in the gospel. And so John had listened to and he had heard the gospel. He had, he had responded, uh, if you would, baptize. Uh, and uh, he hears uh, Jesus identify, uh, he hears John identify Jesus uh, as the lamb. And so uh, John was one, and also the Bible tells us his, his friend Andrew, if you notice the Bible says in verse 37, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So they heard John say, they heard John identify, Jesus, Jesus, behold the lamb of God. And when John identified Jesus to be the Messiah, Andrew and John stopped following John the Baptist, and they started following Jesus. They said, this is the one. This is the one. They got it. They understood it. They said, this is the one. They wanted to understand further about who Jesus was. And notice, they begin to follow him. And, and uh, John the Baptist, by the way, was happy when people left him to follow Jesus because his ministry focused on Jesus. Uh, he must increase, he said in John 3 and verse 30, but I must de- decrease. And notice Jesus turns around in verse number 38, and he asks these two disciples, John and Andrew, he says, what are you seeking? He was really kind of forcing them to, to uh, define what their purpose was, what their goals were, 
in following Jesus. You know, sometimes people follow Jesus for varying degrees or different reasons. Sometimes they're for selfish reasons. They're following Jesus because there were some, by the way, that we see in the Gospels that followed Jesus because they thought he would do some great thing. They followed him because they wanted to see. Notice uh, Herod wanted Jesus to show up. He wanted Jesus to do some great miracle before him. Herod never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, uh, as far as the Gospels tell us. And so we understand uh, that he didn't want to follow Jesus for the right reason. You see, there's some people that want to follow Jesus for the wrong reason. Yes. The Bible tells us that even as Jesus uh, uh, told them the cost of discipleship, that many of them walked away because they didn't want to follow him for the right reasons. And Jesus is making clear. He said, what is your reason? What are you looking for, guys? John declares Jesus to be uh, the Messiah. And notice uh, they asked him, they said, where are you dwelling? We're looking, uh, you know, were they looking, you know, like Judas for a revolutionary leader to overthrow Rome? Uh, They had uh, really, they could have joined zealots for that. And uh, Andrew and John, they didn't realize uh, that day how their lives would be transformed forever. I mean, they they met Jesus. They began to follow Jesus. Notice, isn't it interesting, as Jesus works in the hearts of people, as Jesus is revealed to be who he is, and people begin to follow him. And listen, you'll never be disappointed following Jesus. Because when Jesus says, come and see, and you see who he is, oh boy, uh, Jesus has much to do in our lives. And hey, listen, are we, aren't we continuing to follow him? And uh, we understand that sometimes people begin to follow Jesus, and they don't even really understand fully why. They just, they start to inquire. They want to know. They want to learn more uh, about him. And, and uh, John and Andrew were curious, and they asked him the question, where are you staying? Where are you dwelling? And uh, they were kind of, you know, wanting Jesus to kind of Invite, you know, that's kind of an invitation to yourself, isn't it? Well, can we come to your house? You know, can we, can we come to where you're staying? Can we come visit with you for a little while? Maybe, Jesus, maybe you're a little bit too busy for us. Maybe we can come back another day. And notice Jesus' response to them. Is Jesus ever too busy? No, he's not. What's, what's the invitation that Christ always gives? Come, come. He says, come unto me. And the, the invitation that we see even in the last book, uh, uh, the last chapter, the last book of the Bible is come come. He said, whoso, whoso uh, will, let him come. And so he, whosoever will, let him come. And so we understand that uh, his invitation is clear, and the invitation is to come when it comes to Christ, and come and see, examine him. Hey, listen, Christ has nothing to hide from us. He's okay with being examined. He's okay with your questions. Uh, he's okay when people want to know who he is. And by the way, we should never turn away people who want to know who Jesus is. So just invite them to come and see for themselves. And to come and examine for themselves. Sometimes we don't want to be examined, but Jesus was, had nothing to hide. Jesus was without sin. He said, come and see. He was okay for them to come. Jesus invited them to spend the day with him. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning, the Bible tells us here. And uh, he told them something of his mission, no doubt. He revealed uh, their own hearts to them as he did, as we see him did, as he did with over and over again, as he interacted with people, answered their questions. They were, they were both so impressed that they went and they, they got somebody else. They, they said, we got to tell somebody else about this guy. I mean, what he's done in our hearts, we want him to do for someone else. Isn't it interesting how God does that in our hearts? As, as, as we come to Christ, he gives us a desire to tell. That is a natural desire in a life of a true believer. In other words, I, I don't want to hide that I know Christ. I want to share that I know Christ. I want people to know Christ. I want others to know Christ. Notice Andrew found Simon. John brought James. 
Um, they cared for their brothers. They cared for the families. Many of you uh, gave prayer requests and we prayed for families and people that you've met uh, because you want them to come to Christ. Hey, listen, bring them to Jesus. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't just pray for them. Tell, share the gospel with them. Now, sometimes we pray that somebody else will share the gospel. Hey, if God's given them and put them in your life, we've got to be follow the example of Andrew and John and go and get them and bring them. You know, invite them, uh, uh, join with them, show them, uh, share with them as much as you uh, possibly can. Say, hey, I found the answer. Sometimes I think people don't want to come to find our answers because we're not living like we found the answer. We're living like we're still confused about whether Jesus is who he says he is, or we're still confused about whether he is the solution uh, to life or whether he does have eternal life. I think Christians need to live much more definitively that Jesus is the answer that he is the answer that others are seeking. You believe that people want answers. You believe they want the truth. And I, I believe that there's people that do. I believe Christians are intended to show the truth to people. We, we're supposed to be witnesses. And it's interesting as you look at Andrew, whenever you find Andrew in the Gospel of John, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Anytime you look at Andrew and anytime he's mentioned the Gospel, first is his brother. The second time is in John 6. He's bringing the lad with the loaves and the fishes to Jesus. Uh, the third time we see in John 12... The Greeks who wanted to see Jesus, Andrew brings them uh, to Jesus. Even Gentiles who wanted to see Jesus, Andrew brings them. And we don't have any sermons recorded that Andrew preached or that we know of that he even preached a sermon. But he certainly preached great sermons by his actions in the Bible as a soul winner. And we see his life and his ministry and his witness. And notice the witness that he gives to Andrew. He says in verse number 41, we have found the Messiah. That was his witness. We found the answer. We found the Christ. We found the Messiah. Hey, again, the question in the Old Testament, where is the lamb? The definitive answer of the Gospels, here is the lamb. Behold the lamb. And so we see uh, that we found the Messiah. Uh, that Messiah is a Hebrew word. It means anointed. Uh, the, the equivalent in the Greek is Christ. And that's where we get that word uh, Christ. And to the Jews, it was the same as the Son of God. That's what it meant. It's the Son of God. This is the only begotten Son. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, kings, they were anointed. They were set apart for special service. Kings were called God's anointed. And when the Jews spoke about their Messiah, they were thinking of the king who would come to deliver them and establish the kingdom. You know, there was uh, some confusion among uh, the Jews uh, and Jewish teachers as to what the Messiah would do. Some saw Jesus as a suffering, uh, as a, as a suffering sacrifice, while others saw him, you know, Isaiah 53, right? that we see the suffering sacrifice. But Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11 describe Jesus as a king. And so some wanted to, they wanted the king. They didn't want the suffering servant. But uh, we see in the gospels that Jesus first had to come as a suffering servant. Didn't Jesus even have to explain to his own followers that? They didn't get that. They didn't understand that. He said, he said to the followers that the cross had to come before the crown, that he had to suffer before he could enter into uh, his glory, and that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, Simon's uh, interview with Jesus changed his life. Simon Peter, he shows up, and, and uh, it, it gave him a new name. Look at it. it uh, he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, verse 42, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Peter is the name uh, that we have. And Jesus spoke. It means a rock, a stone. It took a great deal of work for Jesus to transform Simon into a stone to strengthen him, but he did it. And, and uh, he, he transformed him. 
Because the Bible tells us, as many as received him, to them gave he what? The power to become. The power to become. The what? The sons of God. Aren't you, aren't you glad that he gave you the power to become? To become what you could not be without him. God is the one that gives us the power to become. We could not become what we can in Christ without Christ. Uh, Christ gives us the power to become. Uh, is he, is he not, uh, has he not begun a good work in you? Is he not faithful to complete that work? We understand that about the Lord Jesus Christ is, is he begins a work. He's faithful to uh, complete that work in us, and he gives us that power to become. It's, it's worth noting here that Andrew and John trusted Christ through the faithful preaching of John the Baptist. They believed uh, in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus, by their own admission and following him, they believed that John's testimony about Jesus, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Lamb of God, they began to follow him. They left John. They followed Jesus. Peter and James came to Christ because of the compassionate personal work of their brothers. Uh, Later on, Jesus would win Philip personally, uh, and then Philip would witness to Nathaniel and bring him to Jesus. It's interesting that even in this first chapter... The, uh, of the gospel of John, not only do we, are, are we revealed who the Son of God is, but we're seeing Jesus saving people from their sin, and we're also seeing that the way he interacts and brings people to himself is very different. He, he used the preaching of another to bring two individuals. He used the, the sharing of the gospel on a personal level by two brothers with other individuals. He personally dealt with, he personally dealt with one individual himself. Interesting, as you listen to people's testimonies of how they came to Christ, sometimes God dealt with them personally alone. Sometimes uh, God used the, the preaching of a man in the ministry, like John the Baptist is preaching, to bring someone uh, to the saving knowledge of Christ. And interesting that God sometimes uses someone else, maybe a family member, a friend, or even a stranger, someone that we don't know, to, to bring us to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God uses different modes and methods, but the same Savior, the same message, isn't it? The message of the gospel must be the same. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And uh, the important thing is that we trust Christ and then we seek to bring others to him. That's the message that John gives us in John 1. I mean, as we see him as being the Messiah and those receive him as Savior, we see then the immediate response. It's not not after, none of these guys attended a uh, 12-week conference on how to share the gospel. I, I mean, I'm not against it. I'm not against learning more about how to share the gospel. I'm not against the... But, but too many people are buried in books and buried in conferences and buried in committees when they should just be speaking the gospel as much as they can. Hey, listen, it, it, you, God might sharpen you and give you more knowledge, but listen, there, none of us make a mistake by telling people that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You're not going to make a mistake by sharing what Jesus has done for you. The most powerful thing that you can share with a person is your personal testimony. Because it's not refutable. Uh, listen, it's what happened to you. Nobody can tell you what happened to you. You, you, you speak on what happened to you. And listen, first know that something happened to you. You ought to have a testimony. You ought to know that there's been a change in your life and that there's been a time where you realize that Jesus was the Son of God and that uh, you need to believe on Him, that you need to repent of your sin and trust Christ. And boy, that Holy Spirit of God enters in and begins His work, doesn't He? And and he, he does that work in us. And then, and, and, you know, there's this natural desire. Listen, don't let anybody stifle your desire to share the gospel with people. Don't let anybody, listen, just because you might not see other Christians doing it, don't let that keep you from doing it. We've, we've got to share the gospel. I believe in every believer there's a natural desire to want to share Jesus uh, with others. And uh, it's our flesh that keeps us from doing it. Sometimes it's, it's, the, it's the failure of others 
and their flesh that keeps us from doing it. And uh, by the way, you don't need uh, Saturday morning to do that. You need to do that every day of your life. And it's good corporately that we come together and we want to cover great areas with gospel tracts and we want to hand out the word of God and we want to have outreach events and all those things. Listen, I hope that you understand as we do that corporately as a church, that's not to replace your personal witness in your daily life any more than your corporate worship here on Sunday should replace your daily worship and your personal devotions with God. When, when, we, when we open up the word of God here together, this doesn't replace your time with God. When, you, when we pray corporately together, that doesn't replace your prayer and your personal time with God. And when we go out and we, we corporately try to reach errors with the gospel, that doesn't replace your, your personal obligation and commissioned by your Savior to share the gospel. I think sometimes we, uh, we allow events to keep us from just doing the natural thing that God has, uh, has told us all. It should just come naturally. Listen, if you let it come naturally, it will. You notice the woman at the well, she didn't believe on the Lord. She didn't know who he was. She, she didn't understand that the person... He said, if you understood who you were speaking to, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask him. You'd ask him for eternal life. You'd ask him for the water, and you'll never thirst again. And listen, once she believed, what happened? She ran into the town, come see a man who told me... She wanted to tell everybody. The maniac of Gadara, right? Crazy, you know, running in the tombs, cutting himself. I know that's an extreme, but isn't it interesting that... The, you know, seated, clothed in his right mind, and then the desire to follow the master. And then God commissions him. He says, go into the town. And you share the gospel. Many people, the Bible tells us, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ because of the testimony of that changed life. Hey, listen, people should come to Christ because of the testimony of your changed life. And by the way, your testimony is just as important as anybody else's. Sometimes we hear uh, sensationalized stories, and we think that, man, my story is not as dramatic, and my story is not as wonderful, my story is not as impactful. Listen, if God's brought somebody into your life who's lost, he wants you to share your story with them. He, he wants you to tell them about how you came to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, by the way, um, as, uh, as someone who, who was saved as a young man, I don't, I don't even begin in sharing with uh, all the things that I did when I was a seven, six and seven years old and the horrible uh, person I was, I was locked up and, you know, God rescued me and selling drugs and all. No, I didn't, I didn't have that story, but here's the truth. God still saved me from hell. God, God still saved me from, from a life. And by the way, he, he rescued me from a life I could have lived without Christ. And here's the, here's the truth. His work of grace began before me in the lives of my parents. Because if I wasn't born in that home, I wouldn't have the opportunity that from a child us known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make me wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We see, uh, number one, we said uh, the Lamb. Number two, we said the Messiah. Number three tonight, and this is the sixth and the last. We've got a few minutes and we'll close. The King of Israel, the King of Israel. Look at verses 43 through 49. We're looking at uh, seven names uh, in, in the John 1. We looked at three the first week, and tonight we're going to look at the last four uh, as we finish up John chapter number one. But the King of Israel, notice in verse number 49. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus called Philip personally, and Philip trusted him. If you notice, uh, the Bible tells us that um, the day following, in verse number 43, Jesus would go forth in the Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. The Bible tells us in verse 44 that Philip was at Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip findeth Nathanael. So notice Jesus went and found Philip. Jesus 
uh, Philip believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know, because the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of backstory to Philip, we don't know what kind of heart preparation Philip experienced, because God always prepares a heart. God always does a work in a heart. How many, how many remember before you came to Christ how God prepared your heart for that? God always does a preparation work, doesn't he? Sometimes that involved you, that involved you doubting. Sometimes that involved you rejecting. Sometimes that involved you not, not believing what you heard. Interesting, like uh, the apostle Paul, Saul, Saul, said it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. What's he talking about? He's talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. You know what God was doing before the road to Damascus? It wasn't the bright light and being knocked off the horse and being blinded that saved Paul. It wasn't the experience. It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his heart that began, uh, I believe, when uh, uh, before probably as he persecuted Christians, but uh, I believe significantly uh, in the stoning of Stephen. As he stood there and he watched Stephen, uh, there was not a man that died in, in the Gospels more, more or in the, in, the, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, more Christ-like, I believe, than Stephen. Stephen uh, said, Father, forgive them, just like Jesus did. Stephen, Stephen looked up into heaven, just like, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He, he, he died a very Christ-like way, killed uh, for preaching of the Gospel. And boy, the, see, the Word of God doesn't return void. Some people would say, what a tragedy, what a waste, Stephen dying that way. No, not a, what a waste. If it hadn't been for the preaching of the word of God, maybe Paul would have never heard the gospel and come to Christ. It wasn't a waste. And God began that work in preparing his heart. We don't know about Philip, what God did, and how he used different experiences to reveal to him. But we do know that Philip proved his faith by seeking to share it with his friend Nathaniel. Nobody wants to share, you can't share something that you don't have. It's the truth. You know why people sometimes they, they balk or they have, they have a hard time sharing the gospel? Maybe because they've never received Christ themselves. You can share Christ if you've received Christ, but you can't share what you don't have. And if, if you have, uh, he that hath the Son hath life. And what kind of life is it? It's eternal life and it's everlasting life. In other words, is there plenty to share? Absolutely. It's everlasting. It's eternal. It's forever. It never runs out. And... Uh, we believe that preparation began in Philip's heart. And, and John 21, 2 suggests at least seven of our Lord's disciples were fishermen, including Nathaniel. Uh, it's interesting that God used uh, these individuals. Uh, fishermen were, uh, had to be courageous. They had to be uh, hard and stick to the job, no matter how difficult it was. And Nathaniel started out a doubter, didn't he? It's interesting. Philip comes, he tells Nathaniel, and Philip's, uh, Nathaniel's response is, is there any good thing that can come out of Nazareth? I mean, you're telling me that the Messiah has come from Nazareth? There's no way that that part of town, out of that part of town, that the Messiah is coming out of that place. He had a hard time believing that God would work out of Nazareth, that God would work out of a, a place like that, a place that he didn't have respect for. He didn't believe that anything worthwhile could come, and, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth, and he, he bore that stigma. Matthew 2, they talked about Jesus. They mocked him as a Nazarene. And, and uh, how many uh, have ever had the stigma of where you grew up? <laughs> you know, if you oh, that's where you grew up. My wife's raising her hands. She's a Philly girl, all right? You know, so... Uh, grew up, watch out, she can still swing, all right? So, so uh, I mean, so, you know, you, know, you grew, grew up that way, and, you know, sometimes people, but you bear the stigma of your background. You bear the stigma of where you grew up. Jesus bore the stigma of where he grew up. But notice, none of those things hinder the work of God. They don't hinder, your background uh, doesn't hinder God's work. 
know, God can use it to his honor, to his glory. And notice Jesus, the Bible says, made himself of no reputation. He even uh, allowed himself to come from a place where the reputation would have been bad. He didn't have a good reputation. Isn't it interesting that Jesus spent his time, most of his time on the earth and 33 and a half years with people without reputations? And most of them were irreparable. I mean, as a matter of fact, when people looked at Jesus spending time with other people, they kind of like, what in the world? Who in the world is he? Irreparable. People without, hey, listen, as the woman, even the disciples, listen, when fishermen snub their nose at someone. I mean, even the disciples, when that woman came and she broke that alabaster box and she annoyed, they said, this woman, this woman, they snubbed their nose at her because of her poor reputation. Listen, your reputation never could keep you from being saved. Your reputation, God can save you and use that in your life to his honor and to his glory. Nathaniel's a doubter. When Nathaniel hesitated, he argued. Philip adopted his own, the, the Lord's own words. See, Philip kind of, he, he just repeated what Jesus said. He said this to, to Nathaniel. He said, come and see. He said, here's the invitation. Let me give you an invitation. Come and see. Later on, Jesus would invite in John 7, 37, come and drink. In John 21, come and dine. And, and come is the great invitation of God's grace. And when Nathaniel came to Jesus, he discovered that the Lord already knew all about him. How many, how many know, know that God knows all about you? You figured that out, didn't you? He knew all about you. The Bible says that God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. By the way, he didn't discover that when he met you. He knew that before you met him. He knew that you were a sinner. Uh, he knew all about you. Notice what he says, uh, and he, he, he kind of shows what he knows about Nathaniel. He says, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And Jesus reveals his knowledge of Nathaniel and uh, where he had been and what he had been doing. He said, he said, before Philip found you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I knew right where you were. He told him right where he was and what he was doing. And, and uh, that was enough to convince him that Jesus was, notice his own confession in verse number 49. The Son of God, the King of Israel. Um, you know, the revealing of the human heart. That's what takes place here. God reveals his own heart to him. Uh, don't we see, as, as God shows us our own heart, that, uh, that our heart is desperately wicked, that our heart is sinful, that our heart, listen, as the world's anthem is, is, is uh, follow your heart. And, uh, you know, love from the depths of your own heart. Here's the truth. I, I mentioned this uh, on Sunday morning in our Sunday school class. You know, the, the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? You know, the depths of your heart's like the bottom of a gas tank. It's just full of all that gunk. The Bible says the, out of the heart are the issues of life. You know, the bottom of our heart is, is not a good place. It's not, it's not, it's not a great place. The, in, the, in the Gospels, they, they call that their bowels. I don't know about you, but that's not a wonderful place of description. I mean, if your husband comes home tonight and says he loves you with all his bowels, I don't, I don't think you're going to get so excited about that. But the truth is, that's a better description of our hearts than what we view our hearts to be. It's a place of waste. It's a place that without Christ... Uh, is, is a terrible place. And the truth is that none of us would have good hearts apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he changed us and he saved us and the Philip witnessed to Nathaniel. And uh, notice uh, in verse number 45, he gives them the evidence of Moses and the prophets. You know what that means? He, he used the word of God. He, he opened up the word of God. He, he spoke from the word of God. He gave a testimony, but he also shared 
the word of God, the, the, the Moses, Moses of the prophets, the word of God. And interesting in that same, uh, in Luke chapter number 16, as Jesus spoke of, uh, of the rich man and Lazarus, he said uh, of the rich man's brothers, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. It is enough. The word of God is enough to do that work. And uh, if you won't believe the word of God, you won't believe if somebody rose from the dead. You won't believe. Hey, listen, somebody did rose, rise from the dead, by the way. It's Jesus Christ. He rose from the, from the dead. Uh, people say, well, if God would just show himself, he did show himself. He revealed himself. He walked on the earth for 33 and a half years. What more do we want as humanity? There's proof. There's evidence. There's witnesses. There's our archaeological evidence. There's historical evidence. And by the way, we have that evidence in our lap. And listen, we wouldn't have the word of God without that. We wouldn't have the word of God without archaeological evidence, without historical evidence, without tangible material fact that uh, the, the word of God didn't just de- uh, appear somewhere in upstate New York like the Book of Mormon. I- I'm telling you, the word of God came as, as God uh, promised to uh, inspire his word and preserve his word, that we have his word. And, and by the way, I believe we have it. It's complete. It's entire. It's, it's perfect. We can trust. Why? Because God is knowing that we need that evidence. He gave them the evidence of the, the flesh, the word made flesh. He gave us the evidence of the word of God, didn't he? The word of God is without faith, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by uh, the word of God. And uh, here uh, Philip uses the word of God, maybe a quick course in the Old Testament messianic prophecies as he did with, uh, Jesus did with the Emmaus disciples in Luke 24. You know, it's always, always necessary for us to tie our personal witness to God's word. Don't leave God's word out. It's not enough for personal experience. We need the confidence of God's word. Uh, It's great for you to be a witness of what he's done in you, but it's they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to believe, take God at his word. And uh, that's how we became Christians. King of Israel was a, was a title similar to Messiah, anointed one. The kings were uh, God's anointed. And uh, at one point in his ministry, the crowds wanted to make Jesus king. And in John 6, uh, Jesus refused them. Uh, he did, however, in John 12, present himself as king. And he affirmed to Pilate that he was born a king in John 18. Uh, and uh, some, some students, as you look at Nathaniel, and uh, there's another uh, disciple that's mentioned, Bartholomew. Some people believe they're the same person. John never mentions Bartholomew in his gospel, but the other three writers name Bartholomew and never mention Nathaniel. And so uh, as many of them, like Simon and Peter, or, or, uh, Peter uh, had uh, two different interchangeable names, I believe the same thing about Nathaniel and Bartholomew. Uh, and it's not unusual in that day for one man to have two different names. How many of you have two different Two different names you go by. And uh, so we see that. And then lastly tonight, number seven, and we'll finish with this. Uh, the last name that we see in John 1 is the Son of Man. We looked at the Son of God, but there's another name uh, that God reveals to us here as we look at the Word of God, that uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. In verse number 51, uh, that showed to us at the end, the last three words of the chapter, Son of Man. And some of the, Son of Man was uh, really one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. It's used 83 times in the gospel, and at least 13 times in the book of John. The title speaks both of the deity and the humanity of Jesus. It's interesting as Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration, he brought up with him Peter, James, and John. Jesus was the Son of Man there in his glorified body. In other words, he was revealing himself not as, if you would, uh, in the spiritual form, but he was in the bodily form, but that body was in a glorified state. If we remember Jesus while he's on the earth uh, after his resurrection, uh, he, don't, he said, touch me, don't touch me because I haven't ascended to my father. When he did uh, show himself again, he was in his glorified body, his glorified state. 
It's the same kind of body that we're going to receive, by the way. Interesting. It was a body that Jesus, the Bible shows us in the Gospels, that he ate, that he drank, uh, that, uh, that he uh, was able to speak, be seen, touched, as he, he, he told them to touch uh, the nails, uh, nail prints uh, in, in his hands and in his side, but also that he walked right through the walls. And so we understand the glorified body is much different than the body that we have. And uh, man has a desire to be a God and be like God and be in that uh, glorified state. But Jesus is the God-man. He is uh, fully God and fully man. And as son of man, Jesus is the living link between heaven and earth. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father uh, but by me. Jesus, in verse number 51, connects himself to the Old Testament. Notice what he says in, in verse number 51. He said, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What is he showing himself to be? He's showing himself to be Jacob's ladder from Genesis 28 uh, to where Jacob was able to see uh, the angels ascending and descending. And uh, that ladder, that connection between heaven and earth, uh, that, that ladder is Jesus Christ. He's a connection between heaven and earth. And there we see even Jesus again uh, in the Old Testament pictorially represented to us. But Jesus identifies himself to be, in verse number 51, uh, that link. Uh, the Son of Man, the God-Man, the Promised One. And, and uh, Christ is, is God's ladder between heaven and earth. Notice he says in John 14, No man cometh to the Father but by me. He's the way. The Jewish people knew the Son of Man was a name for their Messiah. John 12 and verse 34 tells us that. And uh, here at the close of the fourth day, Jesus, notice at the close of four days of Jesus' ministry, Jesus had six believing men who were his disciples. Uh, notice this, they, they didn't immediately forsake all and follow him. That came later. Uh, he, he, they began to inquire. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they went back to their business. And uh, that's when Jesus appeared again to the shore. That was not the first. Jesus didn't just show up to individuals who didn't know him and never saw him and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left all and followed him. It was at that time that God called those individuals into ministry. Notice Jesus saved them first. And then he called them to be his disciples. I believe that calling that Jesus has given to every believer, that God has saved us and then he's put a calling on us, a high calling to be his disciples, disciple being follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, you can be a believer without being a disciple. There was a period of time here that these men were believers, but not disciples. In other words, you can, you can trust Christ as your Savior, and there can be times, notice Jesus said even to those believers, uh, some of those believers, you cannot be my disciple. They were not willing to forsake everything and follow him. They weren't willing to, uh, the cost of discipleship is great. And uh, they, they didn't immediately forsake all it, in the three years that lay ahead, they would grow in their faith. They would learn more about Jesus. They would one day take his place on earth so that the word might be carried to all humankind. And Jesus of Nazareth is God come in the flesh. When Philip in this passage of Scripture calls him the son of Joseph, he was not denying the uh, virgin birth or divine nature of God. That was really kind of a legal identification. He, as, in, as the Jewish person would identify them according to who their earthly father was. But the witness of this entire chapter is not upset by that one statement because the witness is clear. Jesus of Nazareth is God come in the flesh. God is here. That was the declaration. God has come. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. 
Aren't you glad that Jesus is the Son of God? That He is God in the flesh, and He is the Savior of the world, and He is the Lamb of God that is able to take away the sin of the world. And I, I believe that tonight, and I hope that you believe that. A friend, I hope that there's been a time in your life where you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, it's Wednesday night, it's Bible study. Of course we're all saved. Listen, uh, you're not saved because you're at Bible study. You're not saved because you're a member of a, a local New Testament church. You're not saved because you believe in God. You're not saved because you have a Bible. You're not saved because you call yourself a Christian. You're only saved if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's been a time in your life where you realized who he was, and you repented of your sin, and you you turned to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you called on him for salvation. The Bible says not maybe you got saved. The Bible says you can know that you're saved, and I hope that you know that he's your father tonight. Listen, if you know you have an earthly father, you should know that you have a heavenly father. You should be just as sure about the fact that he's your heavenly father as you are about your earthly father because you've been born of the flesh, but have you been born of the spirit? Have you been born again? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't share what you don't have. And uh, here's the truth tonight is we've, if you have Christ, you're meant to share Christ and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not a commission just to those that are called, if you would, to be pastors. If I can share this with you, the commission that God gave to his disciples is a commission that he gave to every believer, that we're to go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All of us have been called to preach the gospel, all of us. You say women too? Absolutely. And uh, God's called all of us to preach the gospel. And so I hope that we are, we are uh, acting on the commission that God has given us and uh, thankful that he's, he's saved us. I'm thankful for the word made flesh. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.